1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant.
2: And I'm Ethan, and welcome to all you new people. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe. We have new episodes every Monday. But if you've been here for a while, Instagram and Facebook, that's where you need to go and follow us. You can send us any band that you want us to do next. And along with that, you can see uh, what episodes are coming down the pike. And finally, if you would consider yourself a lover, lover of good music, Click the link in, our, in the description of this episode, and that will link you to the Patreon. That's where you get episodes early and special access to our After Hours, which we will actually be continuing this week. We didn't do it last week because of uh, the uh, history of music, but this week we will definitely have a bottom six for this artist, and we will talk about um, what the worst songs <laughs> for this band is, So, which brings us to Lucas, who are we talking about today?
1: Um, I'm really excited about this episode. You can say that this is gonna be a killer episode. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you guys can't joke.
1: I am a dad, so I've got dad jokes. All right, we really, did the killer's really, pun.
3: Really we can't do it anymore. That's <laughs> that's our one killer's pun.
1: <laughs> We're talking about the killers tonight.
2: But remind me, we've already you've already done an episode about the killers.
1: Yes. So the first episode of every month, we like to do what we call a volume two, which is where we do an artist that we've already done an episode on and expand on them. Either go a little deeper or um, in um some cases we like to do a live album of theirs and dissect them as a live band. In this case, we're going to be looking at a very specific period of time. And that's going to be
2: the early years. So why 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 pick the killers out of all the bands? What, what drew uh, you to them for the volume two?
1: Well, first off, I really like them. And um, I wanted to do a volume two of a modern artist. We hadn't done uh, well, we had done Coldplay, but that was like back in July, so it's been a while since we'd done a volume two of a more uh, modern audi- artist. And so I was like, oh, the killers, let's do that. And as well as we had kind of started to talk, we talked about them a little bit in uh, our episode and in the Bruce Springsteen one, so I was just like, you know what we've been talking about them a while, let's just go ahead and do it.
2: So for those of us that um, haven't listened to the first episode, for everybody out there which if you haven't, go listen to it but for those that are too lazy, give it, give us kind of what makes the Killers so prolific. Why, you know what what brings us to this point in history with the Killers?
1: So the Killers were pretty much part of like, I guess you could say the the last great rock and roll movement which was the the... A mix of the emo and the alternative uh, movement in the mid-2000s. It's kind of the last time you could say that music was... Or rock music was in the uh, stream. Mm. Where it was, you know, kind of... It was... These were the bands that were making waves in the music scene. And uh, the Killers really were able to outlast a lot of their competition. They didn't get stuck in a 2000s sound. They always had an evolving um, sound and music. And I think that that has helped them to even now continue to be more relevant, Mm -hmm. which has helped them a lot. Uh, As you can hear, even in the small little time period of really, you could say they're like uh, two and a half albums because one of them is not really an album. It's more of a compilation. But even in that small amount of time with that small number of um, records and songs, there's still an immense amount of change that's happening. They're constantly kind of trying to push their sound forward. You really don't ever get the same album twice with them, which I think is a great, um, for the most part, the key to having a great long career. Obviously, we've talked about bands like ACDC that particularly thrive on not changing, but then, you know, most bands they have to change in order to stay relevant, the Killers did a really good job of that. They were able to really have their foot in a lot of the big genres of that time. The first album, I would say specifically, they were kind of able to still have uh, a bit of that emo- sound and feel and look to them when you look at Brandon Flowers in, in the hot Plus era he's wearing eyeliner he's wearing makeup he's got much more of an emo look to him but then he pretty much abandons it right after that because he decides to take another direction with his image and with his um, his kind of his rock star character um, but so we talked we talked about
2: this a little bit in the after hours from last week Uh Um, and also a little bit in the Bruce Springsteen. So you, you mentioned, I guess I'm curious about two incidents. Thing number one, in the Bruce Springsteen episode, you said there was a definitive time in the band's history when Brandon Flowers found out about Bruce Springsteen and changed in like the trajectory of the band songwriting wise, like just like shifted extremely. Yes. You know? Uh And then the second thing was, um, and i was surprised to know this like the killers like brandon flowers didn't start the killers
1: no he did not um that is uh founding guitar member uh mark kunig is that the guy that left yes he uh, or sorry uh dave kunig not not mark Keenig. i'm i got to mix him up with the bassist mark stormer um yes he's actually he's not out of the band but he's not in the band he's he's like he's like on a indefinite hiatus um originally he uh on the not this last album but the one before it uh wonderful wonderful he played on it but he didn't tour with them and then on the newest album imploding the mirage he's not on it at all but at the Mm -hmm. same time he's not out of the band so it's kind of unclear what's going on with him because uh, bassist Mark Stormer also didn't tour for Wonderful Wonderful, but he's played on imploding the Mirage. He's still in the band. So it's kind of... The Killers are in a weird spot. I kind of don't know what's going on with them right now. Um, you know, obviously, Brandon Flowers has by and far become the main creative driving force of the group. You know, you can when. Mm-hmm. Sort of-
2: Is him becoming the main creative driving force of the group and the Bruce Springsteen thing? Are those connected?
1: Um, I would say to a certain degree. um, I would say that he probably started to exert much more of a lyrical and musical influence. But as far as the sound and the instrumental approach, I would say that uh, Dave Koenig still had a lot of control in the era that we're going to be talking about tonight. Mm -hmm. Because as you can tell, it's very guitar driven. Yeah, you can tell that you know that's that's kind of where the music is coming from first, and you have a feeling that you know the the lyric Brandon Flowers was always in control of the lyrics, but you can tell that he's less in control of the overall direction of the music in the early stages. That he's more you know that the that the music is being written more by the instrumentalists of the band. Yeah. And that you know he's just putting the, um, the the lyrical and vocal aspect to it, but then when you get to day and age, which is what comes the first album right after this period, you can tell that there is uh, an immediate shift. There's there's a much more pop sensibility being written than rather than more of a rock and roll.
2: Do you have a preference on which um like do you like Sawdust and Before or Day and Age and After better?
1: Man, that's tough. Because it's almost I like them for different reasons. Yeah. I feel like they're kind of this band's a little bit like Coldplay in the fact that
2: like they're they have like every album feels like a weird like Like it's like they're they're always going through growing pains, but like it's like beautiful at the same time.
1: Yeah. Really you could say there's three phases. And that's kind of whenever we do future killers episodes, that's the way I'm gonna divide it up.
2: So phase one is what?
1: Is what we're talking about tonight, which is Hot Fuss, Sam's Town and Sawdust. Because really Sawdust is like I said, it's not as much of an album. It's they did they only wrote two new songs for that album and the rest are all like cleaning out the vault all leftover songs that didn't make the previous records. So
3: that's not so good of an album really.
1: It's it's got some really great stuff in it, but it's also got yeah, the Sams Town like, the Sams
2: Town that they did on Sawdust is incredible. Really? Yeah. Okay. Like the 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 piano version of it is like my, that's my favorite version.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's it's, it's one of those ones where it's just like, there's probably like five or six really good songs on there. So like, there's like a third of it is really good. And then the two thirds of it is like, you can tell, yeah, that that was probably a good idea, keeping that off the record.
4: <laughs>
1: Even if it's not bad, you're just like, I don't know where this would have fit on either Hot Fuss or Sam's Town. Mm-hmm. And then you get to Day and Age, and that's, you know, you can tell there's a big shift there. Day and Age is a, a big stylistic change from the previous. It's much more, you've got a lot more keyboards. You've got a lot more, the the songs are more pop. Yet, of course, you can still hear the other band members. And I would say the period of those two albums of of Day and Age and Battleborn are kind of like, it's like the 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 pop anthem period
4: mm-hmm.
1: where um i would say that next to sam's town battleborn is probably the best record they've ever made wow yeah it's pretty good battleborn yeah. battleborn is really close to Samstown. i think Samstown town has a very slight edge to it mainly because it's a bit more consistent the end. uh battleborn has maybe the best Series of seven songs right in a row that they've ever put together, like from from Flesh and Bone all the way to Miss Atomic Bomb, is some of the best songs they've ever written. And this is a
3: wild change from your original opinion.
1: Yeah, I've grown on this album a lot, Mm -hmm. and but then it does get weak towards the end. Okay, where Sam's down. The 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 few weak songs are in Sam's Town are not lumped together; they're kind of peppered in, so it's you don't get stuck in a dry spell for too long. Where with Battleborn, all of the weak songs are kind of together in the same spot, and it kind of makes it a little tough to get through,
2: mm-hmm.
1: even though the songs are not that weak at all. Um, they're it's still... just in
2: comparison to. Yeah, uh, in comparison to the front half of
1: yeah, like it's fr- electric. I mean, thing. you're listening through Battleborn, and you're just like, surely the next song can't be as good as this, and then it is. And you're just like, good god. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and then, it takes a a significant dip. I would say the one great song after that period is "Be Still," which "Be Still" is such a beautiful song. But then, you don't I- like from here on out. Um,
2: it's okay. Again, I think it's hard to say because like all of these songs feel like very distinct in my brain. You know, other than the Rising Tide, I don't,
1: I'm not a huge yeah. And I think it, it hurts that the Rising Tide is the one that really brings it down. Yeah, but
2: and then yeah,
1: but so that's so I feel like that those two albums really complement each other. It Feels like. Day and Age is a bit more of a growing pains album. I would say it's one of their most inconsistent albums. Yeah, <laughs> when it shines, it shines really brightly. When it doesn't, it's very forgettable. Particularly the back half of that record. Um, and then Battleborn just feels like it feels like that. That's the album that they really were building towards kind of all yep. the changes that they were making battleborn is kind of like the culmination of it and then you definitely feel that um there's there's this there's this change it's kind of like they're not going to outdo battleborn so they in that style so they they really make a shift and there also is probably not a um coincidence that there's a long hiatus between battleborn and wonderful wonderful it was like a 5 year period of no music Except for the, occasional, you're not
2: counting. You're not counting the. Uh, don't waste your wishes.
1: Yeah, because that's that wasn't recorded at one time. That was another compilation record from like 2006 to 2015. They released uh, annually a Christmas single every year, and that album was just a collection of all those singles over the years. So hmm. it's like it wasn't really like an album that they were working on. Yeah, it was just like you know here's a here's a collection of all of that stuff and so when you get to wonderful wonderful you definitely feel this stylistic shift it it almost feels like it's it's even walking away from uh from pop it's kind of like it it kind of starts to embody this i don't even know how to describe it it's 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 almost just kind of like dark fuzzy uh, pop rock but not really pop in the same way that it's like very tuneful he you can tell that he's he changes because i'm because battleborn is maybe the most hook filled album they've ever made yeah to where it's just like you can tell that he was painstaking over getting every melody exactly the way he wanted with both Wonderful Wonderful and Imploding the Mirage, there's almost this walking away from clean melodies.
2: Uh, which high risk, high reward on that.
1: Yes, it makes for some really great songs. And then other times you just, you you listen to it and you're just like, I kind of don't know what the song is trying to tell me musically. Yeah, and you couldn't think back
2: and remember the hook.
1: Mm-hmm. Which, for Mm. a a band like The Killers, especially as they continue to move even more away from a live band sound, you're not even really having much of a band to focus on when the vocals are not super uh, appealing melodically, and then it kind of leaves you with a uh, just I don't know what to do with this song. And so I, I felt that both Wonderful, Wonderful and Imploding the Mirage have had that feel to it. So And so it, it definitely feels like they're both cut from the same musical cloth. And so that's that's kind of how I'm dividing their period so far. I think it'll be interesting. They've actually said that they're already working on the follow-up. That's cool. Probably because they're bored and quarantined. <laughs> Yeah, They can't tour, so it's like, well, I guess we should make another album. So it'll be interesting to see if that's true and if it comes out quickly, what that will be, mm-hmm. if it'll be a continuation, if it'll be still part of this era, or if it's going to signal in maybe a new direction.
2: I feel mm-hmm. like Imploding the Mirage, which was their most recent album, I feel like Imploding the Mirage is taking a step back to where Battleborn was with the hooks.
1: Yeah, Wonderful, it, it, Wonderful. Feels, it feels more. But I have to say, I think the songwriting overall was stronger on Wonderful Wonderful. I went back and listened to it again to do the ranking for the songs. Yep. And I felt that those songs stuck with me a little better than imploding the mirage did mm-hmm. um at least there was there was some um there were some interesting musical ideas being put forth mm-hmm. where in um in imploding the mirage it felt less so yeah i don't i don't think that imploding the mirage was very uh,
2: was a risky song was a risky album
1: no so, but yeah, that's how that's how I'm uh, dividing all of this up. And I, that's going to kind of be, because they don't really have a big live record for me to pull from. I mean, you've got the live at the Royal Albert Hall, but it's not something that is like, this is a different side of the killers that we need to hear. Th- from watching them live, they're... They're a band that they do have their peculiarities live, but they're pretty much kind of just doing what they do on the yeah. It's not something where it's like, this is a dramatic retelling. And that's not a bad thing.
2: So yeah. is there, other than the music in phase one, which we're talking about today, is there any other, is there anything else that was happening kind of in this phase one period with the band?
1: Um, Let me think. There... There is this evolution, like I was hinting to earlier, of Brandon Flowers trying to figure out what kind of frontman he wanted to be. Yeah. Um, he definitely had this crisis. And you can really hear, even Hot Fuss feels so far removed from the rest of their catalog. Yeah. <laughs> it's really a unique sounding album for them. especially. And I would say the biggest reason for that is Brandon Flowers and his vocal approach yeah you almost feel like he's trying to be one of the classic rock stars in that first record where he's creating this larger than life you know rebellious attitude,
2: yeah it's or, definitely closer to punk
1: yeah and and even emo i would say yeah
2: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. he i would he doesn't have that um that that approachableness to him he definitely has this um this this air about him, this cockiness, this um this this air about him. And that's really whenever you listen to uh the wonderful, wonderful song The Man, that's what that song is about is him re examining that past version of himself. Hmm. He and and realizing what a uh, what a butt he was. And and just just like he looks back and he's just like ugh, I don't like who I was then. And he even and he realized it as he was getting in, because he was starting to uh, walk down the road of potentially doing the sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing. And he, mm. and he was able to catch himself very early into that and realize, just like, wait, do I really want to do this? Because he said mm. that whenever you're in the mid two thousands you now have enough of the hindsight to see what that lifestyle did to all the great artists. And so yeah. it was just like, you know, it, I immediately realized that this is not something that I want to do, that I don't want to be a rock and roll burnout, even though, yes, that's what all of my, um, all of my heroes did that, you know, it really didn't, uh, Work for them that well. It, they it it ended up backfiring on them because they ended up having short lives, uh, crippling addictions, mm-hmm. and you know he was just like I, uh, I I need to make a change because I see myself starting to go down. And that's when he discovered Bruce Springsteen and saw someone that didn't fall for all of that, and mm-hmm. um, was just like I can have this image that's not this crazy wild man front man that is so arrogant and so narcissistic and i can uh i can have a more wholesome image of someone that i'm not going to be embarrassed for my kids to see
2: i feel like it's almost accepting like i can be myself like i don't have to put on a front yeah i can be the front man without putting on a front
1: Yeah. And because of that, also, he said that it's been really great for him to retain a very good degree of privacy in his personal life. Yeah, he wasn't someone that was putting his entire life on display because his whole life was going in and out of the best restaurants and clubs and, you know, having the big celebrity romances. He was able to just kind of, you know, have a family and live his life. You know, he's been married to the same person for this whole time, and has kids, and um, he's Mormon, actually, which I thought was very interesting when I found that out. Yeah, to they have a ton a of like a lot religious, of religious
2: references in their songs.
1: Yeah, that that started to make a lot more sense, and just that he was able to he was able to be the fan of one of the biggest modern rock groups, but still like not succumb to the rock and roll lifestyle
4: mm-hmm.
1: and you know Bruce Springsteen was a big part of that he saw just someone that he could that he could idolize and copy and you can tell immediately in Sam's Town there's massive difference in the way that Brandon Flowers carries himself and presents himself mm-hmm. uh-huh. like in, in Hot Fuss he's, he's got that 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 fake sleazy British accent <laughs> where he's he's intentionally kind of putting this you know cuz he's he's the band is originally from Las Vegas that you know is uh is fitting for the sound of that first album it's it's got this it's got this larger than life very very sleazy feeling to it and um uh, he he creates this character that fits well for that tone but then you don't get this that same feeling in Sam's town where he's he and sometimes he feels very um very aloof, very uninterested. This, you know, this kind of like, you know, I'm going to put on this confidence of making you think that I don't care. Yeah. And you look at their music videos, like um the Mr. Brightside music video is very scandalous. <laughs> oh yeah yeah the first time I saw that
3: I was like oh this is just another emo band because of just oh. the way that it was like the way that it was presented and the way that it looked like and of course obviously the way that like Brandon Flowers was like dressed uh huh, and and all that
1: like immediately they, they walked away from all of that now of course I think that had they not done that in the beginning they probably wouldn't have gotten as big as quickly because I mean that first record they instantly shot to the top Oh, I'm pretty sure. Like, you know, it did not take long for them to um, uh, become one of the biggest new bands. Like, Mr. Brightside just, like, shot to the top of the charts. It didn't go number one. None of their songs have gone number one. but They're sitting at over
2: a billion plays for Mr. Brightside on Spotify.
1: Yeah, so it's one of those songs that has certainly become iconic. I would say it's probably one of the most iconic rock songs of the two thousands.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: It's an it's an era defining defining song. Um but you know, it's definitely its own thing. And you can just you can just tell from the way Brandon Flowers is singing, the way he is acting in those music videos, that he's, you know, putting on this rock star character.
3: Do you think that he pulled it off?
1: I think that he pulled it off in that album. I think that it would have gotten old had he kept doing it though. I feel like it works for those songs, but that it would have prevented them from growing had he stayed that way.
3: Just because of the nature of Sam's Town.
1: Yeah. Or like Sam's Town wouldn't have been written. Really? They they, they no, would so sense. those songs would not have come across would have you know, had Brandon Flowers not made this shift because also the lyrical content makes a big shift. Like there's 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 not a huge deepness to the, a lot of the songs on Hot Fuss, mm-hmm. with some exceptions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's much more, you know, just again, typical of that scene. And when you get to Sam's Town, all of a sudden you get something that's so much richer and so much deeper. There's 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 this real humanism about it. There's this human quality, of like you feel like these are real people he's talking about, rather mm-hmm. than either him just you know talking about himself or um, just kind of more talking about generic things. Um, one of the things that I found very interesting, Hot Fuss, for a lot of people is uh, their favorite Killers album because of it has a lot of iconic songs on it
4: mm-hmm.
1: you know that that first five i would say can give uh the first five of battleborn a run for its money i mean when your first five songs are jenny was a friend of mine mr brightside smile like you mean it somebody told me and all these things that i've done you talk mm-hmm. about you talk about a front loaded album Seems like, what, that's what like their, It seems like that's very common
2: for all these albums that we're talking about where it's like they, I feel like they, they put their songs from like, almost like best to worst. Like, it's almost like in their mind, they're like, Ginny was a friend of mine's going to be a hit,
1: you know? Uh-huh. Like all the hit, Yeah. All the
2: all, the, all the songs that we're like, that's really good. Like, it's almost like how, how far I even sawdust, you know? I I can uh-huh. see a I can see a case for like them being like tranquilize is gonna be like great you know
1: uh-huh. shadow play is gonna be great yeah um all the pretty faces leave the bourbon on the shelf yeah. those are kind of and obviously big Sam's Town it's like album. Sam's Town when you were young
2: for reasons unknown like read my mind Re- all, like what the but
1: heck? then but the thing about Sam's Town is that you get to the end and the songs in my opinion are getting better yeah like they're, they're they're the river's deep. wild, River's wild, why do I keep counting um you know even even you know when you well, I would say once you hit Uncle Johnny, you start to get into the back half of that record, and that's a great song and um yeah, you've got bones in my list, which are kind of the two weak songs on the album, but I mean it really yeah, all the songs picked up at yeah. the end of that album. So I would say that that's the one album where it really sticks the landing, Yeah, where it needs to end at perhaps their best moment, and they do it.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: It's -hmm. the the one killer's album where I can't wait to listen to the whole thing. And you get to the exit lute at the end, and it's just – it's very cathartic. It's the most cathartic album they've ever made because you feel Mm – they do a really good job of feeling like the album's moving towards something. Like, you start to listen to the songs, and even on the weaker songs, you feel like there's something building. There's a tension yeah. that's building throughout the record. And it all, you know, is unleashed in the final moments of why do I keep counting? And um, and then just gracefully leads you with this great feeling um, at the end of Exit Lude. So... Um Ethan, since from what you're telling me, it sounds like you're fairly familiar with the killers. Kinda tell me your history with the killers, kind of how you discovered them and kind of what you like about them and you know, we'll talk we'll talk about when we get to final thoughts, kind of if anything has changed, but kind of give us like a baseline for you.
2: Like a pregame.
1: Yeah. Before we go into the songs. Um
2: Uh I my wife is like the like a huge 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 killers fan and so kind of coming in to i guess being in a relationship with her i didn't really know about the killers i didn't really care either because we started dating like in high school and whenever i was in high school it was like dream theater was like the only thing that i listened to (laughs) Yeah, did not listen to anything other than dream theater my life revolved around dream theater and then late high school, my life revolved around like it was starting to get less dream theater and like very like jazz fusion, which is pretty much like dream theater but jazz. Uh-huh. Dream theater with a the saxophone. Yeah. Chick Korea is dream theater jazz. Um <laughs> and so I I had always been like an extreme like all of my musical taste was like on the outer edges of like musical accomplishment, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't until Um, it wasn't like over time my my taste has almost kind of started coming back to center and more back to the roots of like songwriting and like just melodic structure and hooks and stuff you know not that I don't like really good musicianship but I've I've started being like oh I can appreciate like something super simple
3: you know yeah good songwriting as well as good talent
2: yes like all of it together I kind of was just like oh the Beatles suck. Why do they suck? Because they just play the same thing over and over. It's so stupid, you know, and then coming and then I've, I've now come back and realized that that's not the case. So I, I would say over time, it's more like I've just been exposed to the killers over time. And at first I was like, Oh, she listens to the killers all the time, which she, she does listen to the killers all the time. But after like listening to it over and over, I'm just like, man, these hooks are good. And then it's just like, mm-hmm. man, this is these lyrics are really deep, and then it's just it's, it's more of like a, a war of attrition with the killers, you know, where over mm-hmm. time I've developed a fondness for them just because I feel like after pretty much being uh, being exposed to them so much and my ear just picking up on it so much, uh, it was like how on this podcast it's like we're kind of forced to listen to the artist, you know. Right. and we're forced yeah. to to sit down and and live with it and 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 think about it and critique it. The Killers were like the first experience that I had ever had with that because like being in the car or on a road trip or something like whenever she picks the music she plays the Killers. And so the Killers right. were was, was really the first band that I had been exposed to that wasn't in my norm that I found fondness for afterwards and now I I would I've become a fan. I've I I saw them whenever they came to Oklahoma City in like 20 Ooh. And in, in, I think that was late 2018. Wow. Or early 2019. Or somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. because I think you went, to, you went with, to that show, right?
1: No, I have not seen The Killers yet.
2: Uh, so I, the cool story from that is, like, the concert, like, it started, like, storming, like, towards the back half of the concert. And they had to end early, but... Um, it started raining during one of the songs and the people started leaving and but like the people that didn't leave like the energy like went through the roof like whenever was, oh yeah cuz he was like uh it's raining but we don't care if you don't care and everyone's like yeah! and like just crazy <laughs> and they would like shoot off confetti and it would get like caught in the rain and so it was this like crazy looking it was like because the, they pretty much sure had to be like, "Hey, it's lightning," and so they told us that we have to leave, but uh, we're gonna do one more song. And then they they started into uh, I think it was I think they ended with Mr. Brightside. And of so course. all this confetti and all this stuff is happening, and there's lightning in the air, and it's just pouring rain, and everybody is soaked, you know. But nobody ca- it was like the the coolest crazy like it's muddy, and everyone. It's almost like whenever it rains, like nobody's cool anymore. Like, uh-huh. All the walls mm-hmm. are broken down whenever uh-huh. everybody's soaking wet. And so uh-huh. everyone is just screaming the lyrics and, and like holding their hands to the sky, just like almost like accepting their fate. <laughs> and that was in that moment of seeing them live, I was like, This this band has to be like one of the best rock bands like of modern history well maybe maybe a killer's live episode is in the future I, I I will agree with Lucas that like they put on a good show but it's but they don't there was there wasn't a song where it was like whoa they did that completely Except different there's like one song where Brandon flowers plays the piano on it instead of you know whatever ah. but they're good showmen but they don't do special arrangements of songs. It was just like, in my that's my history with the Killers, where it's like, I, I had my, almost my catharsis with the Killers, you know, at that moment, where I was just like, you know what? Because I originally did, went to the concert because my wife wanted to, and I ended up leaving mm-hmm. the concert, and I was just like, you know what? You know, my, my heart has been swayed. And that's whenever I became a fan.
1: Well, uh, Grant, you... Uh, have been on a killer before. In fact, it was the very first episode that you were ever yes. on.
3: It is. Oh, it is. at At the time of us recording this, it has been out for about a year.
1: Oh, pretty much on the,
2: on the dollar. Whoa, one year
1: anniversary. This is
2: that's weird. You get the full yeah. Episode. yeah. So I would like to think um, that I
1: did that on purpose. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Every year we're going to do a killers episode. <laughs> oh, <laughs> maybe <boy>. not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um, just kind of you. It was an interesting episode for you because it was kind yes. of like we were still figuring out how we interact with each other. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, my set building was getting better at that point, but I was still yet to right. master it, and you still to understand kind of the method to my madness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also at this point you still hadn't really listened a lot into genres outside of kind of what you normally listen to no and so i'm sure that the killers was a very um a bit of a system shock a little more to where you're just like yeah listening to anything that sounds like this
3: yeah it was it was completely different and i had to listen to these songs for A long time. I think there was a period of three weeks where I was just listening to the six songs we had for that episode on repeat Mm -hmm. because it was completely a different way of songwriting and thinking and mixing. And but I found it kind of rewarding because, you know, I talk about it in the episode where the first song or like the only song I had heard before that point was Mr. Brightside. And I left having gained a lot of respect for them, but I never revisited. The killers. So that
1: was actually. My question is that had you had you gone back and listened to any of their albums or songs of theirs?
3: I think may I have if if I had, um, adopted the philosophy I have now of usually going back and listening to a full album,
4: mm-hmm. um,
3: like I did with Bruce Springsteen or for a Coldplay Volume Two um, or episodes like that. For example, I think I would be in a very different place for this episode. Uh-huh, and I know that because when we did our 2020 retrospective and we had that one killer song um, caution, I realized I had been missing that aesthetic of music since that episode. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it it felt very familiar and it felt very familiar in a very good way, which is which is weird because we are talking about their early um career. But that um, song that we had featured, of course, came out last year, and so the fact that they can change their sound, like you were just talking about, you know, a couple minutes ago, and then still remain distinctly, you know, the killers, is, I think, of course, part of their longevity. Yeah. Which we talked about with, with Rush as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Really, any great band. Queen was so good at it. The ability right. to have a lot of flexibility on what kind of songs you write while still remaining uniquely you, I think is mm-hmm. the ultimate uh, thing to tap into as far as being um, a um, a band that has longevity, that is mm-hmm. constantly um, relevant. Mm-hmm. I
3: will say you're you're talking a pretty good game about Battleborn and Hot Fuss, or at least the first half of Hot Fuss.
1: Now, don't get me wrong, kind of... uh, Hot Fuss does have some great songs on the back end. It's just not as consistent, like uh, Change Your Mind and um, Midnight Show. Believe me, Natalie, uh, even to some extent, Andy, you're a star. Have, mm-hmm. They've got it's got some great moments. But it's also got some some downers like On Top and Everything Will Be All Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Midnight Show is okay, not great. But you don't listen. And what we'll find whenever we talk about their worst songs is that really they are lacking in truly bad songs. Even the songs that are weaker, you still listen to go, hmm, I like that. I probably Mm -hmm. won't remember it, but it's not bad.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. That's good. So they're not going to make that's it very far important. in our...
1: In our uh, well, I don't, don't know, though. The, the song that's at the bottom is astonishingly bad. By the way, if you don't know, oh. in our After Hours segment, at the end of the year,
2: we decided that we were going to pit all of the worst songs of all these artists, and we were going to do a massive bracket to determine what the worst song that we listened to in 2021 is. So that's another reason to become a patron. That's that's what we mean by making it far in the bracket. <laughs> that's That's going to be a fun time. That's going to be, that might be like three After Hours episodes. <laughs> like going through round one, round two, and round three. I, uh-huh.
3: I will say I'm glad that we can do these volume twos where we look at a specific era because we can focus on, you know, certain albums more than we would in the main episode. I feel like I've wrapped my mind around Hot Fuss, that it's essentially a bunch of songs that they decided to put on an album that kind of had the same style i feel like i can wrap my head around sawdust but sam's town not so much and i'm really curious to see the lyrical tie-in for each of these songs into the overall theme as well as just the overall storyline that's being pushed through Mm -hmm. because i still don't know if i completely understand that
1: yeah Samstown for me, is a gift that keeps on giving. I kind of discover new layers about it each time I go back to it.
3: Okay. So then you completely haven't – or haven't completely wrapped your head around it either.
1: I feel like I've got a pretty good idea now mm-hmm. to where I can talk authoritatively about it, but mm-hmm. I know that there's still more to unearth. Okay. Well. Um, do you guys have anything else you wanted to bring up or ask?
2: I'm ready to get into these songs, baby. I am ready to unearth more.
1: Um, All right, then we'll go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the six killer songs that we have selected for this episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: episode of the good music podcast is brought to you by southern safe room when severe weather threatens you want the maximum protection for you and those you love if an intruder forces their way into your home you need a secure space for you and your family to take shelter in order to stay safe if you want a secure place to store your guns guitars or other valuables like drums A custom shelter is the solution you need. Southern Safe Rooms builds custom certified safe rooms that can be installed in your home, garage, workshop, or anywhere you have a concrete reinforced slab. Southern Safe Rooms builds all of our safe rooms in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and can install them on any reinforced concrete slab. The Southern Safe Rooms custom storm shelters can withstand wind speeds of up to 250 miles safe rooms have been tested by Texas Tech University and are built to exceed FEMA standards to withstand an EF5 tornado. The Southern Certified Safe Room is constructed with the highest quality materials far exceeding conventional storm shelter construction. With over 110 years, count them, of steel manufacturing experience, Southern Safe Rooms knows how to build a secure shelter for your home. Call 918- 5843371 or visit our website southernsaferooms.com. Welcome back to the Good Music
3: Podcast. We just finished talking about The Killers, specifically the early era of The Killers that is the Hot Fuss, Sam's Town and Sawdust album era. And this is volume 2, so if you haven't listened to the volume 1, be sure to go listen to that. But it's time to get into our six-song segment. So for those of you who are disobeying the rules and not listening to the volume one, Lucas, could you bail them out and tell us what this whole purpose of this segment is?
1: So this is the point of the episode where we get to just talk about some of the songs, and it gives us a very um, concrete picture of what their music is like especially in this volume two it's going to help us to really understand what the band was like in this early period and um this is not meant to be your intro to the killers that's what the songs in the first episode are for uh if you want a set of songs that like oh i've never listened to the killers before go listen to those songs first that's going to give you a great idea of what the band is about This uh, set of songs is going to really serve to define a very specific era of the band. And so because of that, there are going to be some uh, deeper cuts. So we're going to dig a little deeper on this episode. But if you have listened to the songs in the first episode and you are very familiar with the Killers, then the way that you can listen to these songs is by going to uh, the link in the description of the episode that will take you to a Spotify playlist that has not only the songs from this episode, but all the songs from our previous episode. So please go check them out. Even if you have heard these songs before, even if you are a Die Hard Killers fan, uh, listening to them in the order that I've put them will hopefully give you a new emotional experience because... The way that I put these songs together also is that I want them to transition well from each other. I want there to be a nice emotional arc to where by the end, you have this catharsis, this emotional um, uh, experience. So, uh, we will go ahead and jump in to the first song of this set, which is are going to be our one – representative from sawdust and that is all the pretty faces
2: where'd you rank this song
1: i'm pulling up the playlist now so i can confirm a
2: little premature sorry about that
1: that's okay (laughs) i should have had it ready but i can i can i'm i can get there i'm curious i'm curious where you uh where you put it i put this at number 13.
2: Is this wow? Do you think this is the best song from Sawdust?
1: Uh yes, I do.
3: So it's one of the songs written for that album, I would assume?
1: No, this was oh. actually a Samstown leftover.
3: Oh. Interesting. So really we have four Sam's Town songs. Well, yeah, I but, I, it, but I didn't
1: plan that beforehand. I found that out afterwards. Um that it was a Samstown song. But um at the more the more i think about it it's like it makes sense that it was a sam's town yet at the same time there's n- i don't know where on Samstown this would mm-hmm. have been i think it was as smart of them to not include it and i think it fits kind of the um the hodgepodge nature of sawdust a bit more
4: mm-hmm.
1: but this this is one of the strongest songs that i've ever heard left off an album before
3: <laughs> it's true it's true uh, and you decided to open I, up the set with it too
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think it's originally a great opener. originally this was not going to be the opener it was going to be in the set but i actually had it later on and i was listening to my first draft of it and this came on i was just like you know what i really want this at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I feel like with
2: that guitar line
1: yeah, mm-hmm. and I think just the epic way that his vocals come in, it was just like, this would be just like a really cool, epic way to start things off. Really, really strong guitar writing. In this. Yes. Um, Dave Koenig said that um, this is the most metal song they ever wrote. <laughs> I would agree with him. He he said in an interview, he said, this is from the part of me that was in eighth grade that loved Metallica and ACDC. And he said that any guitarist that uh, from that time period that wasn't into those bands uh, is lying. Because every (laughs) middle school kid that played guitar loved Metallica and ACDC and all those bands. That's like pretty much what, you know, that's what you start on. Yeah. That's the, I mean,
2: I think we all have that story, like all three of us, where it's like we start out in heavy Metallica and like we start out with that energy. And then we just grow from there. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's, this is definitely, and I feel like this also sets the tone for what kind of songs we're going to hear very strongly. Oh yeah. Like, you know, this is, this is, this is the era of the band where the full band is in view here.
4: Mm -hmm. Where it's just,
1: you know, there's not, it's not continually buried under lots of production.
3: Mm-hmm. And and a big thing that you mentioned before this episode was that this is kind of their well I think you did mention in part one too is that this is like their guitar driven era more than any other era. Uh huh. And you can certainly hear that. I mean like the guitar is carrying the counter melody here. Yeah. Instead of just playing chords. There's a lot of chunking and, and, and uh, palm muting and weird chromaticism and stuff like that so
1: i feel like yeah. the
2: verses of this song are what makes the song so good
1: yeah um i i really love the uh the choruses on this song mm-hmm. i feel like that that's kind of like what really puts the song in another realm like it takes it to another but yeah the verses are really strong i love the drum groove how uh ronnie yeah. has that stuttering hi-hat accent yeah and it's almost it almost feels like it's it's dragging out of time yeah i feel like that's a really he's just he's such a great drummer um i'm i'm curious to know you ethan as a drummer what you think i've listened to it before it's
2: it's like he's just really unconventional with his beats and it's refreshing for the band. It's, it's like, he really writes drum parts. It's Uh like, Oh, I'm going to do drum beat number one or whatever. Like he's, his parts are,
1: are really well thought out. And he has an insane amount of feel. Yeah. Like you just, you hear his, his grooves. And it's just like, it's, it's got, he uses so many ghost notes and, Just he has such a great fluidity to his playing. And I feel like that this group of songs really highlights his drumming really well. So uh, what is All the Pretty Faces about? So from what I gathered, this is a song that Brandon Flowers, that was an experience he was having in his real life. By this time, he was married, but he was newly married. And I think that this was about the toll that being a touring musician takes on marriage, about when you're Mm. when you're away all the time, that it's it creates this distance, you know, the the whole thing being, you know, he's he wants to be closer. That's why he's yelling, help me out. I need it. He's he's saying, I don't feel like loving you no more, but I want to. I'm you know i'm I'm caught up in this whirlwind. when I've been spent two long years in a strange, strange land. I'm pretty sure that that refers to uh being on tour,
2: yeah, that's yeah. about
1: that time that they wrote this. they had been on tour for two years, and I think that this song is like this desperation when he sees that the relationship he cares about the most is on the ropes. Um, originally I thought this was like at surface, I thought this was like a stalker song, (laughs) like, uh, you know, the whole line, you're not going anywhere without me. Um, I, but as I looked at it more, I felt like he was saying like the, you're not going anywhere is means it's like, you know, you're not giving up on me yet. We're gonna, we're gonna work on this, but right now it seems like there's no hope this constant feeling of i don't feel like loving you i don't feel like touching you he recognizes and then the second verse with all the pretty faces i think is the temptation that he's experiencing on a daily basis as a big popular rock star he sees all the pretty faces every day and they're and they're they're haunting him he's kind of trying to figure out how does how do i stay away from the temptation of just picking any old floozy that comes my way because I'm a famous rock star so that, that that's what I'm pretty sure the song is talking about I wasn't able to find any authoritative of like Brandon Flowers says it's about this but just judging from what I was able to find out I'm pretty sure that that's, uh, that's what it's saying
3: I mean, I would say that sonically, right? I'm kind of I'm kind of switching gears here, but I'll, I'll promise I'll come back. I've, sonically, it sounds a lot like, from my understanding, what Sam's Town sounds like. Yeah, but lyrically, I'm I'm guessing it doesn't fit because it doesn't fit the overall theme.
1: Yeah, I would I would okay probably agree that that's why it got axed. Okay, it doesn't it doesn't fit, you know, because Sam's Town is like a quasi concept record. Not mm-hmm. in the sense where it's telling a narrative where you can say like, mm-hmm. oh, here's the start, here's the beginning, here's the end. But rather it's it's painting a picture of a of a mm-hmm. small town. Probably a small and town this... very similar to where Brandon Flowers grew up.
3: And this just isn't part of the yeah the picture. No, okay. yeah,
1: this is. I'm pretty sure probably when they wrote the song, they hadn't settled on really what Sam's Town was going to be. And mm. as they as they started to kind of figure out what it is that they wanted that album to be, they're just like, "Yeah, all the pretty faces is a good song, but it doesn't fit." Mm. So hmm. that's uh that's that's my hypothesis of what uh is going on here. Because I mean, that this song is so strong. Like, like I said, yeah. I put it at number thirteen. So it's not like I don't feel like there's a song that's just like, well, this song's not good enough to make the album. Um and I feel like um it was more of a thing where it just didn't conceptually fit. Because Sam's Town is kind of the one record where there is a consistent theme throughout it. And all mm-hmm. the songs do share Um, that connection even though Um, yes they are um, rooted in personal stories of Brandon's they're still you know existing off of this uh, off of this theme
3: I think you had mentioned that with uh, caution in our 2020 retrospective and that they had had that song for a while but they didn't have an album to release it on Mm Mm-hmm and i think that that one in a different sense now knowing that samstown was so special it, it it that caution was not released until they had an album that sonically fit mm-hmm. but okay which um, so they 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 enjoy consistency yes. which is good
1: by the way um brandon flowers has said that he, uh samstown is still his favorite record he's ever done There you go. It holds – he says it holds a lot of sentimental value for him because he feels like it's when he really discovered who he was as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. By the second album, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Well, the second album is always the critical one.
3: Pink Floyd didn't discover it till eight albums in.
1: Well, no. They had discovered – (laughs) they didn't discover how to make it appealing to a mass audience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they definitely, when you look into their early period, there's there's no shortage of ideas. Not all of them are great, but
3: No, that's true.
1: There's still some very brilliant things happening before Dark side. All right. Um, What else? Is there anything else that's sticking out to you guys? About this? No. I'm
3: I'm ready to get to the next song because this next song kind of threw me for a loop. Yeah. Like, I know it's probably lyrical gibberish, but I kind of think it's interesting. Let's go ahead and get to it. If you guys Have you ready.
1: never heard somebody told me before? No. Oh, what? man.
3: I really, I really enjoyed it. This is like a repeat of the first episode I was ever on, right? And that I mentioned multiple times that i was pleasantly surprised of all of the really good hooks that are in here and this is a this is another really good example i don't even know what it's about this i just like it
1: somebody told me is the first killer song i ever heard oh where'd you hear it my uh i've told the story on here about my introduction to music was when Mm -hmm. my uh dad gave me an iPod and yep. here.
2: And this was on it.
1: This was this was it was the only killer song on it. Did you did you have a, an immediate connection with this song? Yep. As soon as soon as I heard it, I was well, the funny thing about it was that I swore that this song was from the eighties. And I thought that the killers was an eighties band. This they would have been mm-hmm. so advanced. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but oh, yeah. also at that point in my brain i had no idea of the finer details of what the 80s were and all that like this was me eighth grade and just the little bit i was starting to learn about the 80s but i just i thought that this was an 80s song and then i remember um the next song i heard from them was when you were young and that was on guitar hero three and guitar on that game they were telling you what year the song was from and i saw that when you were young was from 2006 I was like what but I thought this was an 80s band maybe they re-recorded the song for the game and Mm -hmm. then finally uh my cousin Daniel told me no they're a modern band somebody told me came out in 2004 and I was like no way it like blew my mind because and then least, he showed I, you the the albums that they probably like
2: had just released. Yeah, Sam, <laughs> he's like, there no, there was like, only literally. there
1: was only Hot Plus and Sam's Town at that point. Yeah, and so I was just like, oh my gosh, I have been hoodwinked. <laughs> I I mean, I could have I could have sworn up and down that they were from the eighties, and uh, but yeah, immediately the very first time I heard the song, I was like, wow this is an incredible song. Um, yeah. As far as where it is on the ranking, I put it at number one. Number one. Ooh. I think that more than any other song they've ever written, this is the most lightning in a bottle composition they've ever had. There's so many things in this that not just that they never did again, but this is the. there's so many ideas in it that it's just like, Very few bands come up with as strong of a song as this. Mm -hmm. I think that this has several band members' best performances. I think that this is Ronnie Venucci's best ever drum performance. Oh, yeah. Especially when you – I had to – I'm a drum instructor at a place called School of Rock, and um, one of my students is learning this song. And so I really got to know the drum track to this song, and it is one of the most insane things I've ever had to learn like when you really it's it's not super easy to always tell what's going on just because of the way the mix is but when i started to really discover what was lying beneath the surface in the drums like it blew me away that 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 disco beat in the chorus and all of his tom grooves it's just it's perfect As well as, I think that this is bassist Mark Stormer's best ever performance.
2: Yeah. I had never
1: noticed the bass on this. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. uh, Brandon Flowers agrees with me. He thinks that it's Mark Stormer's best performance. There you go. So I'm, man, I, I, I won't, man,
2: number one i guess it would be hard to pick a number one from the killers it is hard
1: like this is not what i would say a far and away choice where it's just like well duh this is the obvious one i just to me there's this there's this magical quality to this song where it's just everything came together so perfectly Mm -hmm. and things that i just again i feel are very um unobvious like this is a song where I was just like I don't know how they came up with the idea to write a song that sounds like this and not only that but to make it sound as good Yeah, it
2: sounds so good
1: like every aspect of this song works perfectly there's not a single thing in it that's like well they could have done that better
3: The, the weird synth stuff I didn't like it as at first but like when I grew to expect it then I started to agree with that sentiment that like there was not a did that moment.
2: synth line in the break with the rip
3: it,
1: rip it, rip it. yeah it's just that, like oh that that so perfect yeah.
2: it's perfect in every
1: way Oh, yeah, <laughs> and just all the all that stuff in the intro is mm-hmm. and just like the the little bass line that plays at the beginning the boo doo 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 with the drums and. And then, yeah, Brandon's performance is so good on this song. I think that this is – I think it's his best vocal performance on Hot Fuzz. I think that he, he captures the mood of the song perfectly, um, and the hooks are so strong, as well as what an iconic chorus. I mean, yeah. everybody has heard that chorus at some point.
2: Somebody Except for me, Grant, apparently.
1: Somebody told me yeah. that you had a boyfriend who looks like a girlfriend that I had in February of last year. I mean, that's like, I think that's one of the best uh, quotable lyrics of the last 20 years. So See, that, that brings me to the question of what is this song about? So Brandon Flowers said that this is supposed to be the frustration of a man trying to pick up a girl at a dance club. Which is, I think, definitely inspired the sound of the song. I don't know what came first, the, the lyrics or the music. If the lyrics inspired the music or if the music inspired the lyrics. But the... It's kind in of in the early period. I feel like it would have been the music first. Probably. Music that's That would be my guess. But, you know, you never know. Um, pretty much he's like, he's he's trying to get this girl. But she is playing hard to get you know, 17 tracks and I've had it with this game. Like he's, he's been trying for a while to get her and she is, you know, not letting him have it. But I think this also plays into this, this cocky attitude that Brandon Flowers had at the beginning of the career. Like he's, he's going for it. He's not taking no for an answer. Yeah. And, um, the whole point of the chorus, I believe is that, um, someone tells him that, you know, uh, this rumor that kind of, like, ruins his advances. And I think that it's it's not super clear. I think also in a certain aspect, it's kind of like lyric for the sake of having a good hook. Because um, it doesn't make a lot of logical sense of what that means if somebody told me you had a boyfriend who looks like a girlfriend it feels more like that's just like, that's a great lyric to sing. But I think if you were to tie it to what's going on, it's kind of like he hears that this rumor about her and it like messes up his night. It kind of like throws him for a loop and he's just like, he can't pursue her anymore. Cause the second verse is he's trying to now move on in the night and go for someone else. But he finds that all of his confidence has been taken. uh t- uh ready, ready let's roll on to something new taking its toll and i'm leaving without you and you know never thought i'd let a rumor ruin my moonlight like apparently the rumor ruined his night um not cuz i think the 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 startling revelation is not only is she taken but uh she might be a lesbian, and the person that she might be a lesbian with is his old girlfriend. So I think he's... It's, mm. I think it's not something that's supposed to be super deep. Kind of like how I was saying with Hot Fuss, that wasn't usually the focus. I think, honestly, that whole line of somebody told me you had a, the whole thing, I think was something there. It's like, this just sounds really cool when we sing it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I do remember in the first episode you saying that line to me and so when it and I didn't realize this until this episode like us recording but when I heard it I was like you know this sounds familiar I must have heard this song before but I never heard the the melody before but I do remember you saying it and it sounded so absurd Mm -hmm. like it didn't sound we were going through last episode in our music history episode and you would read off the lyrics and it'd be like pure poetry but, like, the lyrics in this song are just confusing. Yeah,
1: I think – but at the same time, it's like <laughs> – But that's not the those point. Those words work so well with that song. With the you song, You change yes. the words yes. and, the, and it doesn't work as well. I just right. – I think to me there's this, there's this alchemical sense to this song. It's why I think it's their best song. There's this unspeakable greatness. You can't even really describe why it's great. It just is beyond explanation. Where other songs, I feel like you can, you can logically find out why it's good. This song just kind of is. And, like, again, you break down the lyrics, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's not telling me anything deep, yet why does this song feel so good? And I, I yeah, think, the that, are just I think that this was a song, especially for them writing it on their first album, to write a song this strong, I think that this doesn't sound like a song written by an amateur band, and they were an amateur band at that point. I think you just – you put all those things together, and I think that this is just like the killer song where I just think that it's just – it works together exactly the way that it's supposed to.
3: By yeah, the way, it's it's I, it's some of the parts. Kind of I thing.
1: can give a little context to, and I'm, I meant to do this earlier on where the other songs in our previous episode rank as well. Oh, I can yeah. take a little time. Uh, here with me is at number two. Oh yeah. Uh, all these things that I've done is at number three. Okay. Mr. Brightside's at number six. Uh, when you were young, at number eleven. Um, 11, 12 more. Sam's Town at number seventeen, and This Is Your Life at number nineteen.
3: Wow! So they must have a really strong catalog. Yes, they do.
2: For Sam's Town
3: to be number seventeen, and yeah, that, that's
2: my thing. Is like, say, I feel like Sam's Town is a um, songwriting masterpiece, mm-hmm. and it's number seventeen.
1: Yeah. You look at what all the songs are written on. You're just like, good God, these are just all great songs. So, but
2: yeah, to have written sixteen songs that are better than Sam's Town, if any other band would have written Sam's Town, that would have been their crowning achievement.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Sam's Town's not even the best song on that album. That's how that's how <laughs> good that album is. That's not a knock at the song Sam's Town. Um. But I'm I apologize if it sounds like I was kinda of talking in circles around why I put somebody told me, but do you guys kind of understand yeah. what I'm saying?
4: Yeah. To right.
1: me I just I just think that this is a song that to write early in your career, to write yeah, something ridiculous. that something that is so good, I just think you can't and as well as just this song has become one of their one of their iconic songs. Like this is one of the songs that made the Killers big. Yes. Um Mr. Brightside was that first spark and has become their most iconic song. I think that uh, somebody told me was the second single and that's really what kept the star rising. Yeah. And I just mm. think instrumentally and compositionally the song just it's it's perfect. Everything everything works exactly the way it should.
3: I I will say there is nothing other than, because usually, once again, we're talking in circles here, but usually there's like something about a song that like maybe it's the guitar solo or maybe it's like a certain drum fill or something that you can point to and be like, wow, that was the moment in the song that made me like it but for this one it's really just the chorus i would say mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and and like that's that's kind of the core of pop songwriting is that you need a good hook which like it totally simplifies everything but if we're being honest right that that still does take a lot of songwriting capability as well
1: yeah so um anyway yeah, this I'd, this is a song that makes me sad that we're not doing cover songs anymore because I would totally do a cover of this song.
3: <laughs> oh, man. Okay.
1: But we'll go ahead and move on. We're going to finally start talking about Sam's Town. Wow. All right. When everybody else refrained, my Uncle Johnny did cocaine. Oh, man. He convinced right, now, right in Johnny, his brain... Yeah. That it helps to take away the pain.
3: Maybe he was wrong. Maybe he was right. Only one way to find out. So I think this song
2: is the most deserving to feel like, you know, like what is it actually
1: about? So this is like, what's oh, yeah. the storyline. Uh, Brandon Flowers actually has an uncle Johnny. This is this is a real person in his life, and. This he is describing exactly. He was a cocaine addict. Um, he was he was a tin hat guy. He um thought that uh aliens were trying to take his semen, and so he tried to shoot his testicles off with a handgun, missed, oh and instead just shot himself in the groin. <laughs> let that let oh that boy. whole thing you... just sink in for a moment. <laughs> Um, but he has that. Really he's confused. always loved his uncle Johnny. He's just kind of, you know, the the typical black sheep in a family. That just like something is always happening to him. He's always got this crazy, these crazy ideas, and um, you know, he said that he's his rock and roll relative. That's always wearing a Led Zeppelin shirt, and that he's a really nice guy, and he loves his uncle Johnny, but he's got his issues. Mm -hmm. And pretty much this song is kind of like an anthem to the black sheep of any family. Everyone's got their own Uncle Johnny, that one person in the family that, like, you know, can never seem to have a normal life. Mm -hmm. And I think that it fits – this kind of character fits with the whole theme of Sam's Town, which is this eclectic group of characters living in this small town – Mm-hmm. It's kind of like he's like your – that that traditional crazy guy that lives in his trailer that is always up to something. Yeah. And um, he said that he has played this song for his Uncle Johnny and that he loves the idea of a song being about him. And such a rockin' song as well. <laughs> that guitar line comes in at the beginning. That's probably yeah. one of the rockin'est – guitar lines they've ever come up with. So it's mm. it's a it's also a pretty good um tribute for him in that sense. Where, you know, he's his rock and roll uncle and so they're going to write a rock and roll song about it. It's not going to be a, an indie ballad. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's,
2: yeah. it's kind of a simple song then in a good in a good way. Yeah. Um
1: I mm-hmm. love the bass line in this song, the song and the boo yeah, boom boom doo-doo-doo. just I really I think this is the first time preparing for this episode that I really began to admire Mark Stormer's bass playing. I had never really noticed it before, but on a lot of their songs now, I'm starting to really pay attention to what's going on in the bass. I'm really liking it. I'm starting to become a bigger and bigger fan of his playing.
2: It's just they're really well written lines.
1: Yeah, it's not just mm-hmm. holding down the chord progression. Mm-hmm. It actually feels like it, it has its own melodic merit to it.
2: Yep, all
1: good songs have a melodic baseline. Every if it if it doesn't mm-hmm. have a melodic line, that immediately disqualifies it from being a good song. Yep, mm. I'm I'm not saying sure. that as my own opinion. I'm um I'm, <laughs> I'm going to the logical conclusion you give me. It's true, Mm. though. Yeah,
3: Mm. I I think that this song has a great progression to it, Mm -hmm. right? In that it's not the same old like verse, chorus, verse, chorus that you'd expect of kind of this genre, but every time they loop back to a similar, um, like a similar part in the song structure is slightly different obviously every verse is going to have different lyrics but also you know by the time you get to i think it's this i think it's still the second verse or might be the third verse about the three minute mark when he goes back to the convinced himself right in his uh-huh. brain and then um when he goes to that next line there's kind of that crescendo of all the instruments mm-hmm. and i think that moment's really yeah it really makes the previous part of the song worth it not that the previous part of the song is bad but it was really building up to that moment
2: i also think this song fits really well in the song three spot in the set yeah it feels like there's like you can you can feel especially after somebody told me which is so it's interesting that you put somebody told me we didn't talk about song placement but like it's interesting that you put somebody told me like such a like lightning song there yeah. and then you're using Uncle Johnny as kind of your transition in, you know. I was I was almost gonna make the joke that you have fully redeemed the second
3: position.
1: <laughs> I knew you. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there, there's this definitely, and I think this really highlights how the songs in Sam's Town were really good at bringing the songs to these great moments at the end of them. That there's always yeah, mm-hmm. there's it's not they're never just a song but it's always leading towards something and uncle johnny has a great mm-hmm. um leading that it has as far as like it's yeah. got this conclusion that it's barreling towards
2: i feel like it had not only does it have a conclusion it's like i feel like it makes a statement at the beginning it almost like introduces itself uh-huh like with that guitar line and kind of that swell in to the drums. yeah
1: do you want to know something crazy this hmm. is only number 32 on the ranked playlist. What? <laughs> Which just, again, just this is going to show the strength of their catalog.
3: This is, on, this is in the running for my favorite song. What are you talking about? Oh, my gosh.
1: Lots of okay. great songs. Like, I was shocked by when I went back. I was just like, oh, gosh, this is a 32? But, I mean, you look wow. at all the songs that come after, and it's just like you can't argue that they're not all great songs as well. It's just – it is insane how um, mm-hmm. how strong their catalog is. And
3: looking over their – and I guess this is a more of a general question, but looking over their ranked playlist, is there any particular era that prevails, or is it pretty Well,
1: even? pretty much the thing that I found is that – Battleborn and Samstown really um, mm-hmm. take up a large portion of the top
3: 25. Okay. It's like... But those, those are from two different eras. Yeah.
1: At least. Um, I was surprised by how little uh, Hot Fuss fit in the top 25. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there's the least amount of representation from the third era, but still, there are some songs. Um, There's a song from Wonderful Wonderful in the top ten, and um, only – Caution is the only one that makes it into the top 25 from um, Imploding the Mirage. But pretty mm. much for the most part, most of the songs are from those two records. And of course, you know there's a couple songs from. There. I would say there's three songs from Shadows Play, uh, sh- or not Shadow Play, uh, Sawdust. Shadow Play being one of the songs in there. And I would say it's just like uh, it's it's a large portion of Same a large portion of Battleborn are what occupy the top spots. But then Hot Fuzz has three songs in the top six. So it shows that in that and mm-hmm. as well as taking the top spot. So you can't, you know, completely, you know, knock it off and going, well, it must not be that good of an album. Well, it's still got some of the best songs you've ever written.
4: Hmm.
1: Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I just, I think that this song definitely starts to kind of just push the emotion forward. We're starting to have these right. these simple catharsis moments inside the songs. Mm-hmm. But I think that the next song kind of helps to kind of give us a little bit of a a breath. It kind mm-hmm.
3: of... Now before we before we yeah. go to the next song, how far along is this uh, song in the same It's album?
1: just after the
3: halfway point. So oh, okay. I,
1: I wanna say it's like the seventh song on the album
3: that is mm. I would expect it to be a lot earlier honestly but. This,
1: this it's a it's in my opinion it's a, it's a turning point in the album because like the first half of the album really uh, climaxes with read my Mind and mm-hmm. then it's it's kind of like it's um, that song uh, Uncle Johnny is kind of like the beginning of part two
3: so like lyrical theme. First half versus a lyrical theme second half. There's a change.
1: Not necessarily in the lyrics. It's it's the uh, it's the the music. You start to you start to feel ah. this larger emotional power from the songs as you get into the back half. You start to feel like oh, the nuts. emotional stakes are getting richer. Like it's mm-hmm. just like there's more there's more at stake and the songs are doing bigger and uh more um powerful things and I think that Uncle Johnny is kind of like a song that's like it could have been just a simple rock and roll song but um it it goes that extra step on kind of just being this really big powerful song and I think just Mm -hmm. the way that it ends with that it almost feels like this um, this sadness, almost like Uncle Johnny doesn't make it, when that when mm-hmm. everybody else refrains and it gets like really somber right there. That, that mm-hmm. it's I think that was a brilliant choice, and I think it does lead us really mm-hmm. well into the next song.
3: All right, okay.
1: Which this next smile is... like you mean it. We're back on to yes. hot fuss. This was All right. um, the third single off the album, either uh, the third or the fourth single. This is just another one of those songs that has become like very iconic for the band. This is this is mm-hmm. like one of those just one of the songs that like when you think of the killers, it's a, for a lot of people one of the first ones that you think of. Mm-hmm. But this is. Only number twenty-seven on the list.
2: I heard that there was. Mm.
1: Uh,
2: I heard that this song was written like really fast. Yes,
1: it was. It was written in like uh, thirty-five minutes. Wow. they they came up with the ideas for it very quickly, and it went on become on one of their sure. most popular songs. Oh so, yeah, is. we talked about that all. The muse,
3: the muse comes uh-huh. to you. Mm-hmm. Paranoid, Pour Some Sugar on Me. The first two I Sledgehammer. think. Sledgehammer? Uh, there you go. Yeah. So I, I'll i say that the fade in of this song pairs very well with the end of Uncle yeah, John. I agree.
1: That was, that was kind mm-hmm. of what I was trying to go for. Just...
3: Right. And it goes straight for that almost somber, kind of lo-fi characteristic that, that a lot of um, alternative uh-huh. rock has. That I think the killers do pretty well, but I don't think that that's really 100% what the killer yeah. says.
1: This, this has definitely so. kind of like a a gothic new wave feel to it.
3: Ooh, yeah.
1: Like something like Joy Division or The Smiths. where it's, mm-hmm. you know... It's this um, it's very somber, it's very it's very depressing but yet and you it's got this but it's got this this power to it. Like when that when that line comes Mm -hmm. in that like it's very epic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yet it does have this somberness to it. Yeah. So lyrically, (laughs) um, this there is oh, yes. some debate on what this song actually means. Of the two main ideas that I saw people arguing about on the internet, I tend to side more with the idea that this is about not looking back on your life and your decisions in regret. Yet it's kind of like he the the narrator is like looking back on his life. And he's trying to act like it doesn't bother him. His mistakes, his missed opportunities. I think specifically with a relationship, um, about just kind of you know it's. And again, I think this is consistent with the character that he was trying to create at this time of this macho man of just like you know nothing bothers me. You know I'm a tough guy. Mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm the I'm the guy that doesn't care. Nothing gets to me definitely hear that mm-hmm. in the way he's approaching the vocals he's definitely taking this this bored apathetic almost numb sound to his voice and the whole thing of smile like you mean it is meant to be very sarcastic
3: so what's what's the other is that the narrator's
1: dead and he's looking at his life and mm-hmm. I don't buy into that as much
3: yeah I, I don't think so I definitely think that, considering the fact that he was going for kind of more of that punk emo look, that maybe the the punk emo lyrical themes was kind of coming. Yeah, through smile as well.
1: like you mean it is a very emo song title. It's very much right. the same neighborhood as I'm not okay. I promise. Yeah, yeah. It feels like this song is like a like a song about Yeah, people. that's what I think it is. It's that's the again the whole thing being that um you know, smile like you did is I, is sarcastic. It's, it's that's what I was going to
2: say. I feel like smile like you mean it is like saying like you're smiling but you don't mean um, it because you were Yeah, so it's much. it's
1: just a mask. Yeah. It's on the outside like I'm smiling but it's not a real smile. It's a dead smile. He's trying to act like the 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 regrets he have in his life don't bother him, but they do. And I think that it's the bridge that really is telling with that. that, Oh yeah. You know, and someone is driving around down the same, driving her around down the same streets that I did. Like you can tell that it's like, he's acting like it doesn't bother him, but it does. And then, and then I think the, Oh no, at the end is kind of, is the, I can't take it anymore. And it's, It's the the mask is is disintegrating. He's held it together through the song until that moment, and he starts to, I really have a breakdown. Yeah, and I think that that uh, musically also just kind of the tension building with the toms coming in the ba da da ba 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 and that no just kind of echoing. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. is just kind of just showing the unraveling of just. Eventually, you can't smile like you mean it anymore. Eventually, it it has to all come pouring out.
2: Yeah, man.
1: Mm. All right. Well. So, (laughs) uh, I mean, it's it's a pretty simple, straightforward song. you know mm-hmm. i feel like with the next two songs we'll really have a lot to talk about i i used to not like this song cuz i didn't like the uh-huh. chorus
2: really oh my gosh the chorus is amazing I, whatever it's a it's uh, your I, I think that the the keys line is good i didn't like the it felt like he was and again, now it makes sense like knowing about the era that they were in but i was like he sang smile like you mean it so lazily mm-hmm. And it just felt like a throwaway chorus to me. But now knowing like, oh, you know, but obviously now knowing, but like whenever I first heard, first heard the song, like you wouldn't relate like smile like you mean it to like being like, whoa, what a great chorus. But hearing it mm-hmm. in context and knowing, because I didn't, I still didn't know what the song was about until now, you know? And so now being like hearing it in that way. And I love that the choruses are so short. It's just like little like, you just punch in, and then you go back to the versus uh-huh. on the bridge. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, if mm-hmm. you're still noticing that, yeah. you know, just everything is continuing to be very guitar-driven, even with the synths. Yeah. Like, the synth line is still the yeah, the, probably the most iconic part of the song, but you still got, you know, it's very guitar is the driving force in all these songs, even on something like Somebody Told Me. Like, when I really... Yeah. Stop to pay attention I was just like the guitar is really kind of the 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 backbone of this whole song the synths are more of a texture rather than the driving force
3: Hmm. K- kind of a way that I sort of been able to analogize or whatever the word is in my head is a band like Iron Maiden mm-hmm. with the bass is that their bassist and I keep messing up bassist names Steve Harris Steve Harris was actually going to be my first guess I'm not even being facetious. but like those maybe aren't necessarily bass driven songs aren't made in songs but the bass plays a very important part and is a very is a very important driving force of those songs and yeah maybe like the guitars take more But the front song and center, falls apart without and Bruce Dickinson's vocals <laughs> But yeah, the song falls apart without the bass very much like these four songs at the very least and, you know, these these upcoming songs as mm-hmm. well, I'd say, um, are would not be near as good without the guitar. It's like metal without distortion. You know, it's like, yes, everything's still there. Yes, you know, barring the guitar. Every, you know, most everything is still there. All of the really... I guess important poppy parts for the most part are there but it's just that extra quality that's just not it's going to be missed yeah. if you don't have
1: the guitars. Um, okay so we'll we're going to get we're going to be pretty much staying in Sam's town now till mm-hmm. this next one is a song that the more I hear it the more I really love this song and that's This River is mm-hmm. Wild. This. It goes to so the yes, different movies. This to me, when <laughs> I learned about Springsteen, I feel like this is the most Springsteen song on the set. Where just lyrically, you can definitely tell that that's the well that he tapped into. The, 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 yeah. the small town oh, yeah. dreaming of something. This is like these lyrics could have been on Born to Run. Of just that,
3: oh, that yeah. whole, no. Now that you mention it, and I'm listening to it right now. Mm-hmm. Really, you? It almost sounds like a it almost sounds like a Springsteen style of uh-huh. singing as well. I mean, obviously, he's had that, you know, for a lot of the their career. But he, a lot of that first verse, he's not singing. He's really kind of just
1: speaking, yeah, very passionately speaking. It's very it's right. the, the story is very strong here. the symbolism, the uh, the, the realness that he gives the characters, um, this and again, this whole uh, motif of the river. I mean we talked about another river in the Springsteen episode. And I think that that is intentional that he's drawing upon that same uh, visual. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, in the river, yes, the, that song, uh, the river represents uh, life or represents love, but it's, it's, it's kind of like the river represents a um, a the bigger mm-hmm. world, that the river can take you somewhere different. And if the river is wild, then mm-hmm. who knows where you might end up?
3: Oh my gosh, that is totally mm-hmm. boring. To
1: That's the whole idea of the river what what he's saying the river is wild. you know he wants he wants mm-hmm. to get into that river because he wants to be swept away to something else. And really, you could say that this is oh. a better version of Wild Billy's circus story because the whole thing is circus, <laughs> centers around a circus that has come to town uh, the 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 story is this this young kid that's talking to a ringmaster of a circus and he's, and he's telling him about the big world that's out there and telling him about, you know, I'm going to show you that the world stayed round. Um, Pretty much. And he's telling, he's encouraging him. Don't stay here your whole life, go out there, find out what's out there. But at the same time, when you get to the Mm -hmm. end of the song, you almost feel like he doesn't make it out. Because I think what what, what mm. he what the character is thinking is gonna happen is that he can just go with them. Like he wants to he wants to just get on the circus caravan and just get out of this town. But it's almost like there's this there's this somber and this is another Rary Springsteen is the the piano outro of this song. Which I think is brilliant. I think it's one of the brilliant parts of the songs. Oh yes. Um where it kind of almost like it feels like there's this there's this um loss of hope. There's still this kind of like this it's almost like it's a moment in time. Yes, he had this great experience, like hearing these stories from this ringmaster. but then the circus moves on. This town's just for passing through. you know, the circus and the crew, whether well, they're just passing through, making sure that Mary still goes round. Mhm, you know. And then
2: I think I think at the end he it's like he because he, at the end it says but there's something pulling uh, me you it's, know it's, and then at the his, the very last lyric is like like they're passing through and then it's like almost he almost went but then at the end he's it's just like but it's a long long yeah long way him, down. Like and it's the, almost like he was just like I know everything that he said is true but it's not worth the risk
1: or it's just like maybe he's In not ready days. yet it's there's there's there is this kind of defeat but at the same time it's like it's almost like he's gonna he's gonna remember this moment in his life yeah and just again the river is wild you know the river is could take me anywhere life is wild life is full life is rushing past me
3: I think yeah I and I'll, I'll once again I'm kind of switching gears here because like I'm sort of listening to the song while y'all are talking about it but it's interesting how he, Brandon Flowers is able to pull off the singing talking but also sliding yeah <laughs> um, pitch sort of technique which I remember uh, Lucas when we were recording some of the cover songs and you were trying to like slide on one of the songs and i was saying no don't do that because it's a bad technique right it technically is a bad technique and and if done i mean even slightly improperly it can just turn into a really Uh bad vocal take but but it's something about a i think um brandon flowers's voice that he's able to pull off that sliding you know especially the river is wild yeah you know it's like that's what note is he singing you know what i mean but also, the sound engineers have to because if you th- if you think if they if somebody went on if Brandon Flowers himself karaoke this song, it would probably sound terrible, especially with the 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 vocal techniques that he was using. It's like that sounds great and it's artistically wonderful, but you can't pull it off if you don't have a great sound crew behind you that is being able to mix it just right so there's just enough of that tonal quality and just enough of that, you know, air so you can feel like it's an actual voice as well. And I think that that's that's something that I do like to talk about a lot, but I don't think I talk about it enough because those are kind of the sound engineers really are the unsung heroes of weird yeah. tricks like that.
1: I think that this song so. is the prime example to show how much Brandon Flowers had grown as a vocalist in the small amount of time between Hot Plus and Sam's Town. And it was, it was oh, intentional yeah, to kind very, of pair yeah. a vocal delivery-like Smile Like You Mean It next to something like This River is Watch. Um, and that yes. range, too. Um, this, this, I actually really love to sing along with this song because it requires so much control yet lack of control you have to control the lack of control if i can if i can yeah. <laughs> correctly um, you know get that idea across but it's like you have to mm-hmm. you have to sing kind of bad on purpose and that's what makes it good and it's really cool to kind of challenge yourself as a vocalist to see if you know t- To pick the right places to go out of tune, to pick the right places to lose control of your voice and and make it to where it's the emotion that's carrying it.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: And so, um, you know, this is this is just such a, I think, a great song to show just what kind of vocalist he was really turning into of someone that is not afraid to put his emotion out there as opposed to someone like smile, like you mean it where he's bottling it in and trying to put on this air of indifference. Now on the river is wild. It's all rushing out like a raging river. I think that when you hear this song, there's this, especially as the song goes on, you feel this building of intensity and when i think when he mm-hmm. i love it when he delays on the last time right before the last chorus you think he's going to go into and he stops and he goes cuz baby there's hell in me tonight and just and delays on it once and just lets it really simmer and then it explodes i, th- I think that it's brilliant mm-hmm. and then to just have it all crumble yeah. at the very end to this beautifully poignant piano part
3: and he's and he does a full-on line where he's fully speaking Mm -hmm. and it sounds totally like the jungle land like more and more parallels i'm glad that we have the context of both my chemical romance to compare with hot fuss and bruce springsteen to compare with sam's town to be able to have sort of the the musical language to compare Mm -hmm. the two something i would not have picked up on a year ago and And that's just
1: going to happen more and more the more episodes we do the more these connections are going to really start to um uh make themselves known that's kind of the fun part of this podcast is that you start to you start to go Mm -hmm. okay i'm i'm understanding now why things are happening and things are being played and sung the way they are
2: Yep. Do you think that the chorus of this song is sung by the
1: ringmaster or I think it's kid? by the kid. I think that he um I I feel like the verses, especially the first verse, is sung by the ringmaster. And I think that yeah. it's it just it con it's what it is is it's conjuring this. This vivid life and he wants to jump in yet at the same time there is this apprehension because a strong river can easily take you under tow a wild river can just as quickly destroy you as it can take you somewhere new and uh, exciting
2: because I feel like if Like the ringmaster singing, or should I just get along with myself? You know,
1: I think that that's the narrator. I think it's him feeling like he doesn't fit in where he is. I think it's, it's, it represents the, um, the unrest he feels. Um, this, this kind of, this lack of complacency. He's like, I'm, I'm the outcast Mm -hmm. of this small town. And when you're the outcast of a small town, you know there's you don't have anyone i should i just get along with myself i never did get along with everybody else i've been trying hard to but, but you know i could stay here all night i think he's saying i could stay with you guys you outsiders all night cause i'm the outsider yeah. you're my people i want to go with you and then just something hold that and then the 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 kid or the
2: narrator sings the second I guess the second mm-hmm. verse kind of re Yeah, The, 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 the shake part. a
1: little, which I think is a great little touch. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, anything else on this one?
3: Nope. I am good. I'm ready for the last oh, song. Oh, I... Now, why do I keep counting and I've only counted five songs? Where's our last song?
1: No, you've counted wrong. Then this is the sixth song.
3: This is um, this is the sixth. Well, maybe I
1: should keep <laughs> counting some more. Where's where's the river? I bob was about ranks, to say that is though. number twelve. Wow. Why do I keep counting? I put it number five. Wow.
3: Wow. Well, let's get into it. I counted. So it number five. this
1: is this what is I'm the. Saying? the final full song of the album there's a little epilogue song that ends the record but this is kind of like this is the song that the entire album is building to and to me this is kind of the song that sums up all of the fears of all the different characters that we meet it's kind of like a grand conclusion Pretty much it's the – the song is about the mm-hmm. fear of not accomplishing anything in your life and being stuck in the same place that you have always been in. And this this fear of the day that you die because Brandon Flowers did say that that was something he struggled with for a while. He said that when he was a kid, mm. he had played with a Ouija board, and the Ouija board told him that he would die on his birthday. And it freaked
3: him. Wow.
1: And so it got him in this place of counting his days. If all of our days are numbered, then why do I keep counting? Pretty much this, the whole song is a plea from someone that doesn't want to be afraid of life, but he can't help it. He doesn't want to be afraid, but really the whole, the song is a prayer. If I only knew the answer, I wouldn't be bothering you, oh, father. Which we know, Brandon Flowers is religious, so this does make sense. Um, the this, this, this song is pretty much just, mm-hmm. it almost feels like it's someone that is on the verge of killing themselves. And he's like trying a, a Hail Mary desperate attempt to find some reason for living. Like he's, like he's on the edge of jumping. He's, Mm -hmm. he's throwing up a prayer Mm -hmm. saying, give me a reason not to jump. I don't want to jump, but Mm -hmm. I feel like my life is going nowhere. Mm -hmm. And it just, it feels like it's, it's the constant futility of living a, a meaningless life. Am I strong enough to be the one? Will I live to have some children?
3: mm-hmm yeah i'm 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 glad that you're explaining the lyrical significance because i didn't pick up on that when i first listened to this set in fact i this is all new information like why do i keep counting i knew that it had to do with like mm-hmm. counting your days but i didn't know that that was like the whole i guess the whole point of the album
1: really and just you know and there's you know you do have this 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 metaphor coming to its completeness of this mountain the mountain is talked about multiple times including in the rivers wild um and watch the uh run for the hills and um you know just this this idea of this mountain being this insurmountable um obstacle in your way yeah, when you live in a small town, it's like you're mm-hmm. you're enclosed on all sides. There's no escape, and um, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of when it gets to that very last chorus, I think is just it's it's the it's the uh, catharsis moment. And if I only knew the answer, if I change my way of living, and if I fill my streets with good times, will the mountain keep on giving? if all of our days are numbered, then why do I keep counting? I think that it just, it brings home all of the different motifs that are being presented throughout the song, or throughout the songs on the album. And it's just, it's it's sad to me that more Killers albums don't work like this, because, man, you get to this point in the album after you've listened to the whole thing, and it's just like this big release.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
3: But it's not, it doesn't end the album. It sort of sums up the album, but we still have another,
1: I guess, Yeah. Movement? So when you, when you listen to the album, when you start it off, the first song is Sam's Town. But then there's this little prologue mm-hmm. song called Interlude, where it's Brandon Flowers inviting you to come to this town. He just does this little on the piano We hope you'll enjoy your stay good to have you with us even if it's just for a day it's kind of meant to be a little corny like it's but at the same time it's got this little charm to it and we get the exit lewd Mm -hmm. it returns that but he has this little uh monologue he says first aggressively we all defend the role we play regrettably it's time now to send you on our way we've seen it all Uh, bonfires of trust and flash floods of pain Nothing really matters, though. It's all going to work out. No, nothing really matters. We're going to wonder what it's all about. We hope that you enjoyed your stay. It's good to have you with us, even if it's just for a day. Outside, the sun is shining. Seems like heaven ain't far away. So in that sense, it, it, it gives a nice little coda nice bow yes, on top. i think that it it's the perfect ending for the album but yes the emotional hmm. climax is built around why do i keep counting and i just think that the emotional part and then it just ends so dramatically with the big hits so it's very orchestral the bow bow, bow, bow yes bow.
3: Mm-hmm. I was almost picturing like, like an like a uh, the ending to Hemispheres right before that outro, or like the ending of Octavarium where it's almost like a little bit too much. But of course, this isn't this isn't Prague, mm-hmm. so they can't go over the top. But it had that kind of feeling yeah.
1: of finality at the very. So, end. did you feel the catharsis when you got to the end of this song? Listening again, Ethan.
2: Yes. Yeah, I (laughs) I thought this was a great way to end the set. And I um man, the piano part. The piano part's when it got me. Like I was just like like once it went down to the piano, that's when he does the last why do I then why do I keep counting? Yeah. I was just like, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. To me, this song was what made me tear up. Every time that I heard it and it got to the end of it, I was just like, yes, this is, this is what I wanted to build towards.
3: Okay. Well, that's good. If it had the emotional, you know, pull on you, then I think that's a testament to the reliability of their emotional appeal because you created this set, not that. But I'm sure that probably it has the same effect on the album that they
1: yeah. go listen to well. Sam's Town. Make that your album that you listen to, and
3: okay, and I just, was, and just I was take
1: in the, the the journey that it uh, leads you on. Okay. Um, anything else?
3: I think I'm ready for final thoughts. We're going to take
1: another break. When we come back, we're going to give our final thoughts about the killers. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just got done with our second segment, uh, which is our set list for the week from The Killers, Volume 2. We listen to music from their first phase. So we listen to All the Pretty Faces, Somebody Told Me, Uncle Johnny, Smile Like You Mean It, The River Is Wild, and Why Do I Keep Counting? And now it's time for our final thoughts, where we will share how our opinions now differ about The Killers, um, from kind of the before the episode to now and we also are going to share what our favorite um, our favorite track was now that we've talked about it so Grant, final thoughts go man,
3: okay, well for anybody who wants to know my uh, uh, initial um, thoughts on the killers you can listen to the first episode but if you don't want to do that I obviously I had left the episode and I kind of went over this in part one was, um, you know, I had an appreciation for them. I was pleasantly surprised by the amount of good songs that were on that initial playlist, but I didn't really, I wasn't super driven to go listen to more of them, but now with this second episode, now we've had 12 consistently good songs of theirs and some of my favorite songs on this episode were in the 30s of their best songs. So obviously they have a strong strong catalog. And of course we're going to talk about their worst songs in the After Hours. And I am I would be surprised if, you know or I wouldn't be surprised if not all of them are that bad. Um, but Going forward, I want to listen to more, and Lucas has already steered me in the direction of Sam'stown, which there wasn't much steering that needed to happen. I was kind of already headed that way um all of the hot fuss songs that we've talked about I like um all the sam song or sam uh, Samstown songs that we've talked about I like, and you guys keep singing the praises of Battleborn and I really like here with me as well. Um, so those will probably be, you know, if I really like Sam's town, I'll probably visit hot fuss and, and battleborn as well. And then kind of just shoot around their discography, but you know, it's, it's a completely different style from what I used to. I mean, the, the, most of the time, the bands who I listen to their whole discography are like rage against the machine or dream theater or Metallica or, you know, somebody like that. And this is, pretty much you know alternative pop rock and I think I would hope that this podcast is helping me grow musically in my tastes and I think it has just considering the fact that I'm listening to a lot of different things and really appreciating them and adding them to my you know repertoire and and listening to them and so i think i've come a long way in a year in the podcast it's it's interesting to talk about you know where i was a year ago with this band but also you know where i was a year ago in music and i think i'm more willing even even now you know still more willing getting more and more willing to look for good music wherever it might be and i hope that that's happening to the listeners as well final thoughts that's yeah, final thought. I would say. Oh wait,
2: what's your favorite song?
3: Oh, what's my favorite? Well, okay, I really like "Somebody Told Me" and I really like "Uncle Johnny," but I, mm, I'm gonna have to go with "Uncle Johnny." And I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry to to put down the number one song for the number thirty two song.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but That's what it's just upset.
3: That yeah, talk about an upset. Yeah, I just I think that that one, even though I really like the chorus for, um, somebody told me I think that just the, the feel that the chorus for Uncle Johnny had, as well as just the like the whole song, I just kind of liked it more. It just felt more real. Yeah, it's it's a raw song, which is weird. You know, me saying that I liked a, lo- a song more because of the lyrics. Well, you're a changed man, Grant. I've, I'm changing here. Yeah, I would. Say All right,
1: Ethan.
2: For me, I I would say that my respect for the killers as a whole has stayed the same. But if if we're getting more specific, I used to always kind of like um, dog on. I guess their first phase and i would i would before this episode i wouldn't have called it their first phase because i was just like their earlier stuff i didn't really i wasn't really down with it i i i love um phase 3 killers like i killers. love where they're at right now and, and but also obviously i think everyone would say battleborn is probably their best album you know um so i i always was like i love their new stuff and the pop stuff like was really good but i just I guess because my personality I was, I was like I don't really like the um, the early stuff It's, it feels like it's trying too hard you know but after this episode man that has changed a lot <laughs> I, I don't think that I've ever given any of these albums a complete listen through any of the early stuff I don't think I've gone uh, front to back on a record and so I, that's definitely going to change Like I had never even heard Uncle Johnny because I just avoided the first two out. Like I pretty much just avoided um, the um, Sam's Town album, other than like the songs that were like the hits, hits, you know.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: And so that has way, way, way changed. I had never even heard. Why do I keep counting either? And so after hearing that, I was like, wow, you know so phase one is like a total redemption story to me and i think i'm also coming on back on to rock uh, probably from you guys's influences just more in general because i after like listening to dream theater i was kind of like ah, i think i'm done with like my like rock phase like i'm out and i'm kind of coming being pulled back in <laughs> 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 to, to I, rock as the genre. i was
1: out and they pulled
2: me yep. i made it out and i'm back in um so yeah i I still love the killers, and I'm I'm happy to kind of add this first phase into into my killers repertoire. I would say my favorite song. Um, I I thought it was going to change once once I reheard somebody told me in context. I was like, oh man. So somebody told me almost took it, and I was going to say, yeah. Somebody told me is and then, smile like you mean it after hearing the context of that song that's, that's changed that completely too my favorite song coming into it was This River is Wild and uh, after talking about This River is Wild it was solidified as my favorite in the <laughs> I just lyrically I think there's so much there that I didn't even know was there you know, like at first I was like, musically, I like this river's wild the best, and I was like, dang, but lyrically I like smile like you mean it the best now and then after we went through this river's wild lyrics, I was like, oh yeah, that solidifies it, yeah for me so those are those are my final thoughts
1: uh real quick did uh your wife, who is a super fan listen to this set and um she's
2: I, I'll I'll let you know after we record the episode what uh, her favorite of the six is. I don't know what she would pick. I <laughs> she she walked past uh, where I'm recording, and uh, right whenever you said that you ranked somebody, told me as the first one. <laughs> she texted me. <laughs> she said he is wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, That's funny. There. My my uh my sister told me the same thing. <laughs> she's like, she's like, you can tell it he's wrong, and then she's like, J.K. Don't tell him. But now
2: you know. Now uh, all hundred thousand of you know.
4: There you go.
1: All one hundred Well, That's a that's a crazy thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> all one hundred thousand of you. Um, my final thoughts for me. I think that the killers have really. I understand them so much more now after going through the Bruce Springsteen episode. When I, whenever I made that connection, it was almost like this light bulb came on. I've always loved the killers from the moment that I first heard somebody told me, I was like this, I like this band. There have been certain eras and albums of theirs that have taken me longer to appreciate. It's to me, I can't believe that I used to not like Battleborn and now for me to say, yeah, this is probably one of their best albums or it is one of their best albums, but, um, you know, to put it on such a high pedestal after really actively not liking it for quite a while, I think is, um, a big surprise for me. But, you know, they're they're a band that I've always loved. And I think now, though, I understand who Brandon Flowers is as an artist. I understand where he's coming from as a songwriter. And I understand what their lyrics are really trying to do. And I think that that has deepened my appreciation for them. Uh, it's made me continue to fall more in love with Sam's Town because I understand the the goal of that album now yeah. and kind of, you know, what their inspiration was and what led them to make the songwriting choices that they made and understanding it as a concept and where the influences were. And, um, you know, I think... To say that I love them more is hard because I already love them so much, but my understanding of them has deepened. And I think in that aspect, that does mean that my appreciation for them has deepened as well. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious to see if more stuff of theirs is going to grow on me in the way that – some of their other even even wonderful wonderful has has risen since i last gave it an evaluation who knows if imploding the mirage will all of a sudden make this big comeback in my mind who knows but that'll be for whenever we come back to our volumes three and four so um thank you everyone for listening to this episode this was a Like I said, killer episode to do. Had a lot of fun making it. (laughs) And um, if you liked this episode, if you thought it was a killer episode as well, make sure to hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Next week, we're going to be going into a genre that we have never done before on the Good Music Podcast. And... I know that Ethan is very excited about it mm-hmm. because if you've been listening for a while now, you know that Ethan is a jazz guy and it's high time we started to do some jazz artists on here. So we're going to do our first jazz episode next week. So we'll leave you in suspense on who it's going to be. But if but uh, if you know about jazz, you probably know who it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, And if you don't know about jazz or don't like jazz, I would highly encourage you to still check out this episode. Um, We constantly uh, are broadening our minds musically and liking things that we thought that we would never like. So um, don't rule it out that you are going to not like our jazz episode. So make sure you check that out next week. Um, If you want to connect with us and let us know what artists you would like for us to cover in the future, make sure to hit us up on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to become a patron, there is a link in the description of the episode. And that will uh, get you early and exclusive content. Uh, Part of that will be for our bad music podcast that we're about to do here once we sign off. I think this is going to be a really fun one because we're going to actually talk about quite a few Christmas songs. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) But some of the weirdest Christmas songs I've ever heard in my life. Um, So if you want to hear us laugh and argue and talk about bad music, as well as being able to hear our episodes early, make sure that you uh, check that out, as well as make sure – that you go to the spotify playlist and listen to all these great great songs yes and i don't think there's anything else except for to say that i'm lucas i'm grant and i'm ethan keep on listening to good music